Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. Uh, I'm excited about this topic because it's a big one and it's one that I've never I've never covered before, and I know that it's going to be really helpful to a lot of people. Um, but before we get started, maybe you can just tell a few people um, about yourself. I know that you are a professional counselor, and mm -hmm. you are also a an author. And actually, that's what some of our conversation is going to be related to is, is your book, um, The Betrayal Bind. But tell us about yourself. So I am a counselor. As you said, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I've been in the field for over 20 years and I have specialized in treating sexual addiction, trauma, and relationship issues. And with an emphasis also on the betrayed partner and thinking about what happens with betrayal. So really kind of treating all, all the, all the pieces in that. So the betraying partner, the betrayed partner, the couple, um, and then also a lot of childhood trauma in my history. So I've done that. I've, I own a counseling center called the Center for Relational Recovery uh, outside of Washington, D.C. And then I also uh, have a coaching program where we serve, we focus really on betrayed partners in that work. And so, um, and I have a new book out, as you said, that's also an attachment-based model for treating partner betrayal. Yeah. Uh, when I read your book, I mean, that is the part that really blew me away, but made so much sense in that. How can you not um, understand betrayal trauma without understanding attachment? But we're going to get into all of that. And I think yeah. that when, yeah, betrayal trauma, when we think mm -hmm. of betrayal trauma, I think we're often thinking of um, infidelity mm -hmm. and uh I wanted to know, maybe you could talk a bit about like the title and really how did you sort of arrive at the term betrayal trauma? Mm -hmm. Well, so I did not coin the term betrayal trauma. Mm -hmm. So the person who founded betrayal trauma theory is Jennifer Freyd and betrayal trauma theory is actually, she began her work around childhood trauma. I know who she and is really looking. Yeah. And really looking at childhood traumas and thinking about, I mean, the thing that she did so brilliantly that I will forever grateful for. And I, I look so much at her work and to her work is she put betrayal at the heart of trauma. And she said, the nature of betrayal of social betrayal changes the way trauma is experienced and also changes the way we heal from trauma. When we factor in betrayal. It changes the way we think about it and treat it because now we understand it as a relational problem and one of relational safety and conflicts that that creates when we are experiencing harm at the hands of somebody that we are attached to. And then that also changes how we heal from it that, you know, I always say it this way. I say a relational problem requires a relational solution. So when we're looking at betrayal, that's a relational problem, whether you are a child or whether you're an adult. So betrayal trauma theory really is much, much broader. It has in the past few years sort of become associated with infidelity. And I have really mixed feelings about that <laughs> so, because I do feel like I, I really think it's important to keep the understanding that betrayal trauma has to do with 
any type of betrayal, any type of trauma that has betrayal at its core and at its centerpiece, whether that's adult trauma or childhood trauma. So for better or for worse, it has been associated with infidelity a lot. Um, the title of my book is called The Betrayal Bind. And so what I have done in my book is what I, I have really looked at how, if we factor in our attachment systems and we factor in how we're wired as social creatures whose primary regulatory tool is connection to others, when we factor that in, how does it change our understanding of partner betrayal? So adult partner betrayal. And what I have found in looking at that is that it creates all these binds and dilemmas that we end up caught in um, because of what's happening in our attachment system and our threat response system. So I called it the betrayal bind because it and it spill all these binds spill out from from that di- dynamic yeah <clears throat> you know uh, a, a few things i wanted to say at first glance i thought betrayal trauma well that i haven't fortunately had that personally happen to me and then mm-hmm. i thought about it further and i thought actually in my generation mm-hmm. not too far i am living in my body with the lived experience of betrayal trauma. And I also watched um, the repetition of what happened in, for example, my mom's childhood being repeated in, in, in my childhood. And it was Mm -hmm. like childhood stuff. And then she recreated it. And so that whole thing that you're talking about is actually so fascinating and so true that, um, you know, how it is connected to the attachment system. So I'm happy to go into that more. Um, I have some notes here, so I might be looking, yeah, yeah, but please. yeah, because there's so much to talk about. Um, okay. So can you explain to us how then childhood trauma and betrayal childhood trauma, because as you said, mm-hmm. you know, that is a betrayal relationally, how mm-hmm. that um, actually mirrors when it happens with partner, um, adult betrayal relationships. Yeah. So if we're thinking about childhood trauma, particularly if we're thinking about trauma at the hands of our caregiver, so our parents, our caregivers, they are our primary attachment figures. So they are the people that our little attachment systems, when we come into this world, bond to and connect with, and they provide our sense of safety and security in the world, right? And they provide our sense also of, am I worthy of feeling safe and secure? Am I worthy of feeling nurtured? All of those kinds of things. So they give us that. And when we experience neglect, or harm or abuse at the hands of a primary caregiver, what it does is it sets us up in this enormous dilemma because as children, we aren't able to leave them. We often aren't able to even understand what's happening, right? We don't have the the mental capacity to go, well, uh, my, my parent must be having a really bad day or maybe they're addicted, or maybe they're disturbed in some way, or maybe they're, we don't have that. And 
so what we do instead is we have all these creative ways where we sort of take the trauma and put it over to the side so that we can stay attached to them. And one of the ways we do that often is by turning the trauma inward. And we think, I must be experiencing this because something is wrong with me, because I did something bad, because I am bad. This is how shame often gets embedded into our nervous system as children if we're experiencing trauma. So what happens there is we are experiencing harm at the hands of our primary attachment figure, but we need to stay connected to them because we're dependent on them for survival as children. So we have to have creative ways that we stay connected, even though we're experiencing harm. So that's childhood trauma. In adulthood, when we flash forward into our adult lives, one of the things that we know from attachment research is that you know, we don't leave behind our needs, our attachment needs as adults, right? They stay with us. They go with us. They're the same for us in adulthood as in childhood. We're just better able to, to take care of ourselves, right? We can meet a lot of those needs on our own, but we still have the need to feel like we matter and we're significant and we're important and we're worthy. We have all those needs that we take into our adult relationships. And what happens in adulthood is that our romantic relationships become our primary attachment. So our romantic partner becomes our primary attachment figure in much the same way that our parents were when we were children. And the research shows that adult romantic relationships mirror child attachment to a caregiver, that there's like an equal uh, step and process for every step of childhood attachment. There's an equal one for adult romantic attachment. So these two things mirror each other. Now we're adults. We have this romantic partner, long-term relationship that we're in. And when we experience harm in that relationship, we often then have the dilemma of I'm experiencing harm at the hands of my most significant other, of my primary attachment figure. So that is how these two things can mirror each other, if that makes sense, and uh -huh. look very similar. Um, and if you have childhood trauma, and now you're an adult and you're experiencing adult trauma, what I always say is the adult trauma is going to ring the bell on the childhood trauma. And it's it creates then what I call multi-layered trauma, because we often have what we're experiencing in our adult relationship. And that's ringing the bell and bringing up all of the shame or I'm bad or I'm unworthy or I'm unwanted or I'm abandoned that we experienced in childhood. Mm -hmm. And now both wounds are like alive and screaming. And so that can be a real um, big, big challenge for people to work through and deal with in their adult lives. And I think it is so great that this is why we say like when we can have words and understanding to what's happening it just makes us feel a little bit more um, in control, like it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what you explained is is so incredible. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, that's why some of the responses that, um, I mean, I'll just use what I've seen in my own life from, you know, uh, watching generational trauma is some of the responses seems almost primal because it's, it's like, uh, like a, like, a baby uh, mm -hmm. fearing the loss of a relationship that they have to have. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, oh. absolutely. Like, yeah. I think that 
I think you're getting to such an important point that I don't think we give enough um, weight to in our adult lives, especially I think in American culture and Western culture, which is very individual oriented. It's like, we kind of have this belief that we as an individual have all we need. We don't need others. And and it's, it's just not true. You know, we very much need our attachment figures. We need our relationships, all the different ways that we're attached and connected to others is so important for us to be able to regulate our emotional selves and take care of ourselves appropriately in the world. So I think in many ways, we don't give enough weight to our attachments. And then at the same time, we don't give enough weight to when those attachments and connections don't go well when our partner's angry at us, when our close friendship is struggling, when a parent, when we're having trouble with a parent, we don't give enough weight to what that does to us. Mm -hmm. We actually experience threat in our relationships, the threat of relational loss, whether that's our partner being angry at us or losing the relationship, we experience that as a survival level threat. So even though in our logical brain, we know that we're not going to die from it as adults, right? We're going to be able to be okay. Ultimately, our nervous system says, I am not going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And experiences it as as a survival of a threat. So when you say then you have the kind of primal reactions to it, it's because it's being felt in the body at that core level. Yes. Wow. Wow makes so much sense. Wow. It helps, it helps all of us, I think, make sense of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We understand how big and important attachment really is for us. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that, um, you know, even in the last, I don't know how many years, at least we're starting to notice these things and talk about it. Um, but as I said, for, for betrayal trauma, this is a first where I've seen, um, the two brought together and how important it is to understand attachment. So um, let's see, what else did I want to ask you? Yeah. So we talked about threat. Um, What about like your book talks about, I think it was three types of betrayal trauma traps. Do you Mm want to talk a bit about that? Because I remember that being so good and so helpful. Yeah. So we talk about um, three different, there's three different things in the book that we talk about in terms of places that if you are a betrayed partner. So when I say betrayed partner, I'm talking about anybody who has experienced any kind of sexual infidelity, whether that is an affair, a porn addiction, a sex addiction, hypersexual behavior, whatever you want to call it right? Anyone who's experienced anything like that, that's what I'm talking about when I say a betrayed partner. So we talk about kind of three things that can mire betrayed partners down. And one is fear of loss. And the second one is shame. And then the third one is powerlessness. So they're kind of three things, three places that you can get really stuck on the journey. And I'm happy to talk about each one if you want me to and kind of go into, yeah. Would that be okay? I think it could yeah, be really yeah. helpful. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. So I think when we're thinking about fear of loss, we're going back to what I already said about, mm-hmm. um, you know, that when we experience relational distance or loss 
with our primary partner, our primary mm -hmm. attachment, that it registers in our bodies as a survival level threat. So when we experience cheating in our relationship, when we experience some kind of betrayal like that, infidelity, whatever it is, it sets off a just a tsunami of response inside of us because we feel enormously threatened that our relationship may not survive it. So cheating immediately puts your relationship on the line, right? It immediately puts your relationship on the line. Everything that you thought you understood is in question. There's always lying along with cheating. There's always gaslighting along with the cheating. So all of that creates just an enormous, um, very confusing sort of emotional rodeo that partners get stuck trying to, to figure out and sort out for themselves. And it creates loss, right? It creates this, your loss of what you thought you had, loss of your present. Now your future is in question. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with all these losses in a minute, right? Because betrayal kind of changes things really fast. And the losses are very immediate, even though it takes us a while to actually process them and actually know what they are and articulate them for ourselves and all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So when you're experiencing cheating, you're already experiencing a ton of loss, okay? You're already experiencing this enormous threat to your attachment system, the potential loss of the relationship. It's plunged you into massive distress in your body. You're feeling all of this in your body, not just your mind, right? So you're in an enormous distress state as a betrayed partner. The thing that is such a conundrum and a bind. This is one of the binds that I talk about in the book is that in order to heal from betrayal, you actually have to risk experiencing more loss. Okay, so tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. Here's what I mean by that. So for example, you've got a partner who's had been having an affair mm -hmm. and you have discovered that they're having an affair and you don't want to live in a relationship where somebody is having an affair. So you now, even though you're already in the middle of the loss of what you thought you had and all these losses we just talked about, you now have to risk more loss by coming to your partner and saying, hey, I'm not willing to tolerate you having another relationship. So in order for us to go forward together in any way, you're going to have to completely close the door on that. And then we're going to have to engage in a massive repair process here. You are risking that your partner will look at you and say, no, hmm. I, ch I choose the affair. I choose the addiction. I choose the porn, right? So in order to heal and move toward healing, you actually have to risk more loss. Hmm. And you have to risk more loss. Let, let's say your partner does say yes and closes the door and enters a repair process. You're still going to have to ask for more things as you go along. And each time your partner could get angry and withdraw from you. They could say no, right? So all along the way, you're having to ask for things where you're risking again that you might experience that feeling of mm -hmm. loss that you're already inundated with. 
So it's this really tricky bind that betrayed partners get stuck in. I call it the fear of loss bind because in order to heal, you have to risk more loss and you actually have to be able to tolerate that in order to heal. So where betrayed partners get very, very stuck is I've worked with tons of partners who are too afraid to say, hey, you have to stop the affair. Or they're too afraid to say, like, let's say the partner has stopped the affair, but the partner's stance on that is, okay, I stopped. We're all good. Let's just move forward. Get over it now. Right? And what they actually have to risk is saying, that's not good enough. We actually have to repair this. Or, you know, this is like your sixth affair. So we actually maybe need to look and see if there's a compulsivity issue here (laughs) and get treatment for that. So they have to they have to go in and risk and say, no, I need this mm-hmm. in order to really stay with you. And they're not able to do it. Right. So I, I work with partners all the time who are stuck in these very intolerable um, situations that create enormous emotional suffering and ramp up their trauma symptoms unbelievably. And they stay stuck in them because they can't tolerate asking for what they need because they might experience more loss. Mm, That is a bind. It is an enormous bind. And you have to really be able to work with that, that terrible, terribly big fear, Mm. right? It's almost first, if you have childhood trauma too, it's almost what I call like an annihilation terror. That's interesting. You said that word because I was, that's the exact word I was thinking of Mm. when you were talking about that, that, or when we were talking about the primal feeling, it's an yeah. annihilation fe- feeling. Yes. Mm. Especially if you have childhood trauma, oh, yeah. you experience neglect or abandonment, it's going to feel like you're not going to yeah. survive it. That's it. And like then survive it. No. And that annihilation means there's nobody. I'm a al- like alone in the entire world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, oh. Yes. So these are not small fears. These are enormous fears. People are not stuck because they are incapable, because they are, you know, they're stuck because their bodily based attachment systems and threat response systems have thrown them into such overwhelm and such crisis that they're frozen often in their fear mm-hmm. and they're unable to make steps forward yeah. in the relationship to heal. I love that, that we're bringing in, um, you know, the, the, the body, we have to bring in the body because, Mm -hmm. you know, again, if you look at it on the surface and when you don't understand the nervous system, then you're just like making up excuse. Oh, the person is just, oh, they don't want to deal with it. Or, um, you know, they don't want to speak up or whatever, you know, and. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of therapists get stuck here, honestly, in working Mm -hmm. with this population and working with betrayed partners, because I think, you know, if you're a therapist who has any training in this specialized area, you're kind of bringing your quiver full of tools, which are, okay, we need to set some boundaries. We need to ask for what you need. We need to help you use your voice effectively. We need to, you know, you've got all of that and that is necessary and good. But for a lot of betrayed partners, you can teach them those things all day long. Oh my goodness. And then they don't do them. And then what happens Mm -hmm. is the therapist thinks, oh, something's wrong here that we're not doing it and starts to look for other diagnoses or starts to look for other things when 
what's really happening is the person's attachment system is overriding their cognitive ability to utilize the tools mm-hmm. and even their, their desire to use the tools, yeah. you know, cause partners can talk a big game. They can be like, I'm going to go home and set the boundary. I'm going to, I rehearsed it in the therapist's office. I know what I need to say. And then they come back the next week and it's like, it didn't happen. Yeah. And I think for us as therapists, we have to look underneath all of that to, okay, let's talk about the terror. Let's talk about the fear. Let's feel the fear together. Mm. Let's feel what happens in your body when you think about this. Let's sit in it with one another. Let's go all the way into that feeling of annihilation and hold it together, right? There has to be this real um, delicate, concrete work of sort of walking into the heart of the fear Mm. um, together and making the fear conscious because this fear is also unconscious for a lot of betrayed partners. They sort of don't know why they're engaging in all of these patterns that are, I call them powerless patterns, mm-hmm. patterns of powerlessness. They're, they don't know why they're engaging that in them. They don't, they're not consciously connected to the terror mm-hmm. until you help them get connected to it. And then it's like, there it is, you know, wow. and now that's the work. The work here is holding this and learning to tolerate this. So that you could then use your tools. Oh, it's so good. It's reminding me of just, you know, like where, whereas, you know, a lot of times when there was no understanding in therapy of um, the nervous system and, and just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, people thinking you're just not wanting it enough or you're not trying hard enough. And, and it's like, no, I really, really, really want this without understanding that my body is frozen or my body is checking out or when you don't understand that. So I love that you are taking them from here to here Mm -hmm. so that when we can regulate here and understand what's happening here, then, like you said, we can then start looking at the tools. And we can think about the tools. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine like um, having this experiencing experience and not getting the you know, the right kind of support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that, I mean, we've come a long way as a field mm-hmm. in treating this. I think one of the things that I really want everybody to understand, because I think we have a long way to go on this. I think that in the general therapy world, I don't think there's an understanding yet that individuals dealing with betrayal, adult sexual betrayal are a specialized population. And you actually need specialized understanding, skills, a roadmap in order to help this population. I think what's happening is a lot of betrayed partners are wandering into your average therapist's office and maybe that therapist doesn't realize what a specialized area of treatment this is. And so I really want therapists to understand this is a highly specialized area of treatment. It requires a lot of understanding of the dynamics that are unfolding for betrayed partners and in their relationships, and then a specialized way of dealing with it and treating it. So I really want us to, as a field, grow in that understanding and that of this issue. That is, that is so great, really. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so you talked about the fear of loss and shame. And did you talk about the parallel? I mean, it's all sort of connected. But did you want to say anything else about that? Yeah, it's all sort of connected. So the shame bind has to do a lot with the moment we experience loss. So, so these three things are very overlapping. They're very intertwined because when we experience relational loss, it often sparks shame inside of us. So if we have childhood trauma where we experienced any kind of neglect or abandonment, we didn't get our needs met the way that we needed to get them met, then we often internalize that as meaning that something was wrong with us. So then when we experience loss in our adult relationship, when our partner pulls away from us, cheats on us, lies to us, is angry at us, whatever it is, often that immediately sparks shame inside of us, kind of takes us back to that childhood shame. And we feel like there's something wrong in us that our partner has done this. There's something unworthy. There's something undesirable. There's something in some way we don't matter. So it really brings our deepest attachment needs into question and kind of coats them in shame. So often we will avoid loss, avoid this, you know, risking more loss that we need to do because loss sparks shame. So then we have to do the work of really being able to understand that these behaviors aren't about us right? Aren't connected to our worthiness because in order to do the work that we need to do to risk more loss, we need to not go plummeting into shame when we do that. Right. So we have work to do in the arena of shame around it. Um, so that's how shame connects. And then the powerlessness connects because when we have this fear of loss, and we're unwilling to do the things that would make us risk more loss, like like set a boundary or um, use our voice. What we do is we engage in a whole bunch of powerless behaviors instead. So this could look like, um, you know, you've got this partner who has this whole history of doing all kinds of things, extracurricular sexual behavior. And of looks like there's some compulsivity there maybe right they really need some kind of like treatment for that higher level of care around it and rather than say to that partner hey i think there's a real problem here and the request that i want to make is that you go see specialized help you go see an expert who knows how to treat this you do whatever they ask you to do Um, And that you really commit to that process in order to repair this in our relationship. And if you're not willing to do that, then in order to take care of myself, I'm going to need to ask you to separate, ask for a separation, or I'm going to need to ask for whatever it is, whatever the thing is, that's your boundary, right? Whatever it is you would need to ask for to take care of yourself if they're not willing to meet your request. To do that behavior, we're risking more loss, right? That would be our healthy behavior. If we aren't able to do that, then what we do instead is we do a bunch of powerlessness stuff. So here's what that looks like. That looks like, I am not okay with this. You need to get help. Go get help. I'm going to leave you if you don't get help. But that's a threat. It's not It's not real. You don't actually have the capacity to leave. 
right? You're just making threats. Now you're having fights. So you're going round and round and round and having lots of conflict. And you're saying a lot, like most partners are doing a lot of talking, but you're not doing it with any real energy of, if this doesn't change, I will do what I need to do to take care of me. Because you can't, you're too, you're too admired in fear. And so because of the fear, you do all the powerlessness behaviors uh, and you just go round and round and round and round in that. And some people do that for years. You know, they stay stuck there for a really, really long time because they don't know how to find their way out of it. You know, they don't know and they're, they can see it. They know they're in suffering. They know it's creating pain. They know it's not working, but they don't know how to move out of it. So that's the powerlessness piece. So all three of these, this is, this is why we call them the three trauma traps, the fear of loss, the powerlessness and the shame go together. And they really create this enormous um, bind. You know, this is one of the, these are the binds, right? Place where betrayed partners can get really stuck in trying to find healing. The more I'm thinking about this and the more I'm listening, again, I'm thinking, like, how can you not um, get support when you're going through this? Like, even when you touched on the shame piece, like, that is so important. That can keep you so stuck because that's what it can do. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that you working on that piece in this whole process is like, it's so important because mm -hmm. when you, when you feel, when you know that, okay, this isn't about me actually, and you start to feel more worthy, then you realize you're more worthy of a good, healthy relationship. Yeah. Ugh. It helps you stop tolerating the intolerable. Yes. So, um, would you, so are those, you talk about in the book, like six phases. Do you want to mm -hmm. just like, maybe just touch on them at all? Mm -hmm. Sure. So toward the end of the book, once we've kind of talked about a bunch of the binds, we talk about, I lay out the six phases of healing that are part of our, the treatment model that's in the book. Um, it's the Braving Hope treatment model. And so Basically, the six phases, it starts with devastation, which is the phase when just you're in, you've just discovered it and you're in the highest level of distress and all the betrayal binds are very, very active and everything feels confusing and overwhelming. Okay. So the devastation phase is really like such a high distress, challenging phase. It's also when partners go out and start trying to find help, find information, figure out what's going on here. Where do I go for help and support? The second phase is the realization phase. And this is when you start to find support and you start to find help. And you also start to realize, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. There's actually some words for this. There's language for this. Oh, this is what the path of healing actually looks like. There's processes that I need to go through. There's steps I need to go through oh, this is actually a bigger problem than I thought. For most people, the realization phase also includes really coming to realize, oh, this is not something we can just sweep under the rug and move on from. We really do have to do work here. It's going to take some time. It's going to take significant investment of our energy and our resources to do this. 
if we want a new good relationship together. So there's a lot of things that happen in the realization phase for folks there. Then the next phase is called the stabilization phase. And this is where people really start to onboard some of the tools and start to look at where they're stuck. So this is the place where often now you kind of understand what you're dealing with. You've gotten some support and some help. You've kind of settled into, I got to really, I got to really do the work to heal. And now in the stabilization phase, you start to do that work. And you start to really look at what is keeping me stuck. Let's look at the fear. Let's look at the powerlessness. Let's look at the shame. Let's look at the, the trauma symptoms and what's manifesting as a result. Let's get into the proper forms of help and support to deal with all of this. So I think the stabilization phase to me is the longest phase because you're doing big, big work during this, big, big healing work during this phase. So when you come out of that, then you come into the reimagining phase. And the reimagining phase is sort of this place where you're like, okay, I'm not ever going back to how it was before, right? You kind of know, I now know all of this. I've done all, I'm growing. I'm learning about myself. I'm changing who I am. I'm changing how I do relationships with myself and others. So I'm not ever going back. So now I need to reimagine life for myself. I need to reimagine my relationship. Maybe with this partner that cheated on me, maybe we're reimagining it together. Or maybe that is leaving the relationship and reimagining what could happen with a new partner and reimagining a new healthy relationship for myself. It's also reimagining your other relationships, your work world, your family, all of the different things. Because I think when we do this kind of deep work on ourselves, it changes all our relationships. So we're really reimagining and creating our lives for ourselves. So the next phase is a creation phase where you really take this, all this learning and you start to create in your world and you start to implement these changes and create the life that you really long for and that you really want and that is much healthier for you and much different as you have been healing from this. And then the last phase is the flourishing phase. And this is when you are in your new normal and all this growth has created this new normal. And you've got practices and rituals that sustain that new normal that are now part of life so that you stay in this place in your life and your relationships. So those are the six phases. What I do want to say about them is that they're not linear. So for most betrayed partners, I mean, there's a linear aspect to them, but most people you could be in flourishing in one part of your journey and in devastation with another part. So let's say like, for example, you've really done a lot of work on the fear, the shame, the powerlessness, and the relationship is looking so much different. Your partner's joined you in the work. You're really starting to like feel like you're creating a new relationship, but you haven't yet really looked at this sexual injury and the way that your sexuality got really jacked up by the betrayal. So that part still, you still have a lot of devastation there that you have to go back and work through, even though you're in flourishing in these other areas. So you can be kind of in different places along the way with different parts of things. So it's not, not a linear 
progression, if that makes sense. No, it does. And it's not like black and white. It's like gray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. So fascinating and so incredible. And I, I'm wondering like people who have had like childhood trauma and so you're dealing with what's showing up in the present. Um, I would imagine that that's also helping to heal the childhood trauma because that's what you're working with attachment trauma. Yeah. You're often kind of simultaneously yeah. doing both, mm-hmm. both mm-hmm. layers of the work together. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating the way that that happens, right? That by working this, you automatically start to work this piece back here too. Oh. They go together very much. This is so great. So I, again, I want to encourage people to, to look at your book. I'm going to put uh, a link to your book in the show notes, but tell us again about some of the other resources that you have. uh, If people are interested in finding out more about coaching or your programs. So you can find me at michellemays.com. You can just go to the website and take a look there. I also have a YouTube channel uh, the Michelle Mays YouTube channel where there's a bunch of free videos and that kind of thing. And there's a blog also. Um, so there's a bunch of free resources that you can take advantage of. And then um, we have a coaching program for betrayed partners called Braving Hope, Become the Hero of Your Betrayal Story, which is based on this new attachment-based model. Mm. And you can find out more about that at michellemays.com and take a look at that. But that is for betrayed partners who really want to who really are stuck, are feeling that stuckness and really want to do the work um, and the deeper work around healing from it. That's so great. I thank you so much. Have we left anything out that you want to say before we end this conversation? There's so much to talk about. No, no, I think, I think we've covered a really, really good chunk of things. So thank you. You are so welcome. And, and I mean, your book is packed with so much great stuff. And like I said, it blew me away, things I didn't know and how things were starting to make sense. I think it's a must. And if not for you, someone you know. So mm-hmm. thank you, Michelle, for uh, our yeah. conversation. I'm sure it's going to yeah, help a lot of people. You. you are welcome.